Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I am Jenny Taylor. And you guys, listen, we have a very special program, not just today, but for four weeks in a row, focusing on Memorial Day. And really quick, the school teacher in me is going to jump in here and help make sure you know what Memorial Day is and what Memorial Day is not. First, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. So that's kind of the two holidays we want to distinguish between. Veterans Day, of course, is the day to honor all men and women in uniform who have served in the military, past, present, foreign, abroad, wherever. Memorial Day has its roots in the Civil War. It has its roots in battles like Gettysburg. It has its roots in the fallen military men and women who have died while serving our country. And so very... um, distinguished day the day of remembrance is what it used to be called day of decoration where they would decorate the graves and so what we really want to focus on today and for these next four weeks is memorial day honoring um, in this case four men who have served our country and who have died while wearing the uniform of our country and then the great legacies they've left behind in the form of their families their friends and their communities and so now that you know what memorial day is I am really excited to introduce you all to my good friend, Krista Anderson. Krista, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm so grateful to be with you both. Well, we are so excited to have you and your organization join us. So first thing, before we let you tell us your personal story, we want you to kick off this four-week series, these four podcasts that will start with your series and then three more. Tell us about the organization you have, what you do every Memorial Day, and who these three upcoming interviews will be with. Can you give us kind of the 101 on that, Krista? Mm, definitely. So the Enquirer Professional was and I'll get more into it, but was um, formed in 2013. Um, My husband, Staff Sergeant Michael Harrison Simpson, was nicknamed the Unquiet Professional. Green Berets were known as Quiet Professionals, but he was so proud to be a Green Beret. Um, His team and his company nicknamed him the Unquiet Professional because he just made it known wherever wherever he was. Um, I love that. Just about every morning to me. (laughs) (laughs) Reminding me he wore a green beret. (laughs) There was nothing subtle about it. Okay. So what is it you're doing now in his honor and in the honor of the other people that you recognize? Why did you choose to use that name? I love it. The unquiet professional. Well, you know, I thought what better opportunity. I mean, I could have named it, which I loved right? Um, The Staff Sergeant Michael Harrison Simpson Memorial Foundation, but I wanted it to be able to kind of almost be a secret. I mean, I know it's the unquiet professional, but, you know, you really have to get into it to to know more about where the name came from. And it's always definitely a, a party story, I guess I would say, because it's, um, it lightens the mood. Of course, you you hear of the circumstances of the organization, but then I get to tell the funny part of it. And it, and it brings back that kind of hope and light um, and the humor, I guess, um, of who he really was and, and, um, and, and his history of, you know, just following his brothers and his father. His father is a plank holder, 
um, or a plank owner, I guess they would say, in the in the regiment um, with First Special Forces Group, and and his brother retired out of First Special Forces Group as well. So, um, and his other brother also um, serves in the army, and so it just kind of it gave me an opportunity to be able to serve everyone. Um, and then kind of hide him in there um, along the way. I love that. And you want to be unquiet about the service of these heroes, right? You want to take these great stories that most people in America don't really know about, and you want right. to give them a voice. So tell us how what you do each Memorial Day and the families that you're honoring this year. So in 2018, um, my dear friend Tessa Robinson, who founded Humans on the Homefront, asked me if she could do a virtual Memorial Day mile. And that's when it started. And she honestly, she looked up the the stories um, of fallen service members. And she sent out, I think there was 450 registrants that year. And she wow. sent out one service member for each person that registered. So she looked up and created these, you know, she pulled from obituaries from Military Times Fallen and and she sent out the stories of these men and women um, to people who registered. And, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, she is a journalist and she is amazing. And I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that. That was, um, I, I tried the following year in 2019, I tried to do that. And one of the things that made me sad was some of the men and women that we looked up didn't have anything but their names, their unit, date of birth, date of death, and how they died. And um, I really wanted to be able to not only share the stories of our fallen service members, but share the stories of their families and how they are, one of our taglines is motivated by their lives. And mm-hmm. and to show that we're not just kind of, um, you know, sitting in the darkness, that we're out there doing the work, kind of picking up and 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 serving our community, um, not in the same capacity, but where they left off. I love that, Krista, and that's what I love. Um, I, I actually have never met you physically in person because we've only ever known each other through this COVID time. And we serve, I can't believe. <laughs> can you believe it? It feels like we're just old friends. But we, we serve together on a working group through the Department mm-hmm. of the Army that's for survivors. And in the little time that I've known you, even virtually, I've seen just how tenacious you are in giving a voice to these families, to these heroes, to their stories, not just how and where they died, but how they lived and how they served. So mm-hmm. each year, do you choose a handful to, to spotlight now? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know this year we're having three that, in addition to you yeah. that we're going to interview and, and honor. So tell us how you find them, how you select them, and, and if you have anything particular you want to say about this year before we have you tell us your story. So they, I generally know the families so far. Um, last year we had Sergeant First Class James Grissom. We had, um, who was actually killed a, a month before my husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know, I know their family well and love them. We had um, Tim McGill, Liam Nevins, and Josh Strickland, who were both killed on the same deployment. Um, and then we honored my husband, Mike, last year as well. And this year, um, we have, and, and I know you know the Pelham family, and, and, and I know you get to speak with all of them, but um, John Pelham and, and his family are just such a 
a light. I mean, you'll probably hear me say that again, but I over and over again, but you know, when I visualize, you know, the darkness, I think that kind of settles in when you, when you lose somebody um, so dear and so close to you, I can only visualize these families and the light kind of piercing through that darkness. And so um, the Pelham family is absolutely that light. And then we have um, Patrick Feeks, who is a Navy SEAL and his wife, Emily and, and, and his family just, Again, I can't wait for you to hear their stories. And um, and Major Philip Bombard was Air Force, and his wife Linda is, is again. I learned so much from her and her journey, and just her resilience and her transparency. And um, and tomorrow actually is the ten year anniversary of Phil's death, and so I just can't wow. wait for for your community to hear their stories. Well, I appreciate you letting us share these because um, this is, again, not not a lot of us in America personally know someone who's died while serving in the military. Uh, certainly, I would say in Utah, there's a lot of people who maybe don't personally know someone that's worn that uniform and paid that ultimate sacrifice. And so we appreciate what your organization is doing and, and has done for years in honoring these families and helping us to learn more than just, you know, the data on their headstone to really get to know them. So we're really excited, like you said, to hear the stories of these three families. We hope our listeners will pay really close attention these next weeks leading up to Memorial Day. But Krista, today it's your day, and we want to get to know you and Mike and your boys and your family. So can you paint us the picture of what life was like backing up, you know, 10, 15 years, however many years you've got to go back Tell us a little about your background, uh, when and where and how you met Mike, and a little bit about his service and your story. So I grew up in a little town um, with about 3,000 people in Massachusetts um, called Hamden, and I had no idea about the military. I mean, it, it didn't touch me. I didn't even, I don't. I don't ever remember giving it a, a, a thought. Um, I lived blissfully ignorant, I guess I would say. And um, which I always appreciate people who are in that frame of mind because, you know, that gives me an opportunity to say, good, then our family did our did their job. If you are blissfully ignorant about everything that's happening out there, then that means we're doing a good job, right, as a military and um and so years later um my cousin joined the army and and he was getting ready to to um deploy to Iraq and my aunt had a deployment party and said she needed help you know driving the kids around she invited his friends from around the country that he had served with and um and Mike and my cousin had served in the old guard together in 2003 and so I had the opportunity to, um, you know, to go and, and, and meet all of my cousin's friends and, um, and, and help my aunt kind of care for them throughout the week. And I'd like to say it was love at first sight, but I'm not sure it was at first sight. I think it took me a little bit because <laughs> I looked at him as my little cousin's friend, you know, at first. Sure. But it's like the little brother. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
but fast forward, he had um, transferred to from Washington State JBLM to Vilsack, Germany, and I went out to visit him um, in Germany for the weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and I think we knew at that point, but then he was getting ready to deploy the following year. And we saw each other a few more times, whether I was in Germany or he came to the States and, um, and then he deployed for 15 months. And in the middle of that, um, was his brother David's wedding. Um, and which actually they just celebrated their anniversary last week. And so he came home on mid tour leave and the, the evening of his rehearsal dinner asked me to marry him. Oh, um, that is so, so sweet. sweet. <laughs> no. That's like sweet world war two style. Come home from war, get engaged, plan the wedding for after he gets back. So did you get married? Like, did you elope right away or did he finish where he was and then come back later? So as Probably most service members, he was eager to get back to his his uh, his unit, right? He was only on mid-tour leave, so he went back to Iraq. And um, we had considered eloping, and then I thought, my mother will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an only Fair child. Enough. Fair enough. She wants to be there. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, I think when I knew exactly and this was before he actually asked me to marry him. He gave the, the, his best man speech at the rehearsal dinner, I guess. And, and he looked at David and Kelsey and he said, be each other's compass, you know, and he talked about how when the waters get rough and things start to get hard, look to each other for direction. And I thought this silly, goofy, amazingly attractive man (laughs) Um, just stole my heart probably again and again and again in that moment. Oh, I love that. I love that you, you saw the depth that he had too. that he wasn't just goofy or nerdy or funny or whatever, that he also had depth. I love that. He could be both. That's really when he showed it to me, I think. Yeah. And let's talk about, we need a t-shirt. We always talk about the t-shirts we need to make. Be each other's compass. That is beautiful marriage advice. That's beautiful family relationship advice. All right, Krista, we're going to hit pause for a quick second, take a break, and then come back and hear a little bit more about your life together with Mike. All right, Krista, he proposed. You said yes. He went back to Iraq. And then tell tell us what happened, how you began your lives together. So he came back from Iraq um, six months later, and we attended his um, his brother Isaac and sister-in-law Vanessa's wedding. And then a month later, we got married. So the Simpson family had a that's big a lot year. of weddings. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yes, Expe- expensive. Yeah. yeah, that's a maybe eloping might have been such <laughs> yeah. a such a bad thing, right? All three of their boys and their sister Abby just traveled around to each wedding, and she was grateful to do so. She oh, was how amazing. Sweet. Okay, so you got so, married. Walk us through those first few years, his service, your family, your boys. Set the stage for um, when he deploys again. Mm-hmm. So he um, he was he actually had to go back to Germany, um, and so I went to I went to visit him. So we went back to Germany in in January, and I didn't go with him because otherwise he would have had to extend, and he was getting ready to attend the um, special forces qualification course, and so we figured 
we'd be apart for a few months and then we'd transfer to Fort Bragg to go to go visit. <laughs> yeah. I went to go visit him in, uh, in February. What in year? Germany. What year was this? And this was, let's see, we got married in 2008. So it was the beginning of 2009. Okay. Thanks. And he, um, went skiing for his birthday and broke his leg. Oh no. <laughs> so it took him a little bit longer to get back to the States because he couldn't necessarily go to the Q course with a broken leg. So, Shoot. um, August of that year, we got to Fort Bragg and I was ready to pop. Michael was born actually in October. Um, and he just, I mean, he started, of course, dedicating himself to, um, to training and, and doing the, the SF qualification course. We had Michael and he graduated with his Green Beret in March of 2011. And we headed out to Joint Base Lewis McCord, um, where he would serve with First Special Forces Group. And um, again, totally foreign to me. I was still kind of in the clouds. Um, and then he would serve... He would be gone, you know, probably eight months out of the year. He was training. He was, you know, whether it was CONUS or OCONUS, um, you know, in the States, outside of the States. He, I remember one trip he was in the Maldives spearfishing with the army there. Oh, wow. Well, I had two and babies. Meanwhile, you, when was your second boy born? He was born in 2011, December of 2011. So okay. Michael was 2009 and Gabriel. So a couple years apart. And so you're living in the state of Washington and he's, he's on assignments kind of everywhere gone. I mean, it looks like more than half of the year. That's, that's a lot of gone time. Okay. So you've got these two sweet little boys. You're new to the military world. You're living on base. He's in and out of, of town. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we lived right outside of base, which actually hindsight, I think I wish that we would have had that uh, experience of living on base. I mean, we would have had to move, of course, within the, probably the first year. So that was good because we stayed around for, for a while longer. But um, I've never had the opportunity to live on base. And so that is definitely one, if I would call it a regret that sure. I have. But, but you're in a military um, town anywhere near the base. Yes. And, okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. tell us what happens. So we're, I remember um, they were supposed to go to the Philippines, his company, and then it switched to Afghanistan and, and all the other spouses were very, very upset. Um, they had experienced deployments before, you know, Mike and I, when he was in Iraq, we were together, but we weren't married. We didn't have children. It was much, much different. Sure. Right. And again, I had no idea what the world yeah, looked like. You don't like. even know what you don't know. Right, right. Which, again, in hindsight, I kind of wish that's how I looked at, you know, this next deployment. But um, I mean, that's why I don't watch the news, mind you. I try to <laughs> shield myself. <laughs> but um, and so I, I wasn't worried. I we um, we happened to we had an opportunity to go down to Oregon for a few days. My mom came out and watched the boys, and then. Last minute, his parents um, decided to come for Easter and, you know, and my parents were there for Easter. We had family pictures. My girlfriend called and said, I have a cancellation. Would you like to come and do family pictures? You know, which was a week before he was deploying. Wow. And yeah, I mean, when you look back on it, I'm like, oh my goodness, God just put all of these little. All the details. 
place. Yeah. So this is spring. Is this spring of 2012 or 13? This is 2013, April 6th, um, 2013. He deployed with 4th Battalion, uh, Charlie Company, 1st Special Forces Group. And eight years ago today, he rolled over an improvised explosive device while he was coming back from a mission with his team. And he was riding an ATV. Okay, so let's back up a second. Um, for those who are listening, this will air not the same day we record it. So his accident oh. happened on April 26th, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he had deployed on April 6th? Yes. It hadn't even been three weeks. Right. So he'd probably only even been in country barely. Right. Maybe two weeks. Wow. Okay, Maybe so can you can you walk us through what that's like? Uh, obviously, the injury was not immediately a death. Can you tell us a little bit about the events of the 26th and then the rest of that week? So um, he was actually thrown back into the crater. I mean, I got the incident report. And of course, I was told by all of his team and they shared the story, you know, shared the day with me and everything. And so um, sometimes I can close my eyes and picture as if I was there, you know, yeah. in the moment. But um he hit the, it was a pressure plate IED. Um, he, the blast caused him to actually fly back into the crater. He landed in the crater of the blast. Um, it was a lower right leg amputation, um, trauma to his right arm. And, and they didn't realize it at the time, but shrapnel had torn through his body and severed his pericardium, which is the sac around your heart. Oh my gosh. But they didn't know that right away. So so at the beginning, did they think he was injured and maybe needs to be medevaced or did they know right away it would be fatal? Yeah. Well, no. Gosh, they actually thought he would live. And I mean, they approached him and and they had to have EOD, um, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit, uh, clear the area to make sure there wasn't any secondary devices. And so as they, um, you know, most of the team that was able to actually be up there near him, you know, of course, the the medic and so on, um, they threw their tourniquets to him and he actually put on his tourniquet um, on his right leg and his right arm himself. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. I'm like, adrenaline must really be special. <laughs> so, but, but I mean, that shows he's alive. That shows he's conscious. Yeah. That shows he's at least thinking on a certain level of survival instinct, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he breathed them. He said, I think I lost my leg. They confirmed. He said, okay, my, you know, my, um, my back hurts a little, my hips hurt a little, I, you know, um, I can breathe and, you know, I can breathe and, um, you know, and I'm not dizzy. And so he just kept on giving them updates and they wow. moved him. They were able to get to him and then, and then, um, basically pack his wounds, tighten, tighten down the tourniquets. And, you know, they had a little trouble getting him to the, um, to the medevac cause they had to transfer him. The medevac couldn't land where they were. And, um, interestingly enough, um, my husband now Gus, um, was the senior medic on, on their team, but was left back at the camp and, and, you know, his junior was out there, did everything and anything that was supposed to be done. There was no, you know, and, um, but he was able to throw a drone out and, and, determined that they needed to move him in order for them to, to evacuate. Uh, 
So, Krista, what so, what communication do you have at this point? Does someone from the unit call you and say, hi, Mrs. Simpson, there's been an incident or? So they called me um, on the 27th, my time. It was about 930 in the morning. Um, and uh, so a whole day has Colonel, passed since he was injured and you're mm-hmm. and, and you get a call. Yeah. So because he was injured, I got a call. And then about an hour later, um, you know, officers came to to tell me a little bit more and to talk to me a little bit about what the process. Was they did send someone in person after the phone call. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. absolutely. And um, and I'm so grateful I got that call. I mean, I was I was I was in the I was home. Gabriel had just gone down for a nap. You know, Michael was entertained and um, and Jamie Alden, um, he's retired now, retired Lieutenant Colonel. And, and he just was so amazing and, um, and caring and compassionate and just really giving me the information that I needed. And so then moving forward, I would meet with the command team um, every morning. I would just show up. <laughs> I knew they were meeting at nine. So I showed up at nine 30 Everybody was around the table, um, you know, the, the group surgeon, the chaplain, um, and, and the whole command team, and they were getting updates. I was getting updates from, we call it an 800 line, but it's, a you know, where they update you on the medical. Um, was he medevac to Germany? He was actually in Bagram. In Bagram, okay. Um, so he went to Ghazni, and then he went to Bagram, and... Um, they were waiting for him to stabilize in order for him to go to Germany. To really travel. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I couldn't leave for Germany, right? I get notified on Saturday morning. I don't leave for Germany until the following Tuesday at one o'clock. And it felt like a hundred years. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. Okay. So here's a silly question. Did you have a passport and was it needed to travel? It, I, it was needed to travel, and I did have a passport. Thank okay. the Lord. I will tell you, in the moment, I got a phone call that someone was standing at my door to tell me about my husband's death. And in that moment, I didn't yet know if he was dead or alive. And one of my first thoughts was, I don't have an active passport. What if they've medevaced him to Germany? Anyway, yeah. side note. Okay, I so, share that with, with so you were So you were getting ready. You were getting ready to go visit, or you... Yes. And so, okay. of course, I wanted to leave right away. I wanted to leave on yeah, Saturday. Like yesterday. And one of the things that I share is like trust the system, right? Because what I didn't know and what I didn't really understand, and maybe they didn't even understand to explain it to me, was that, and maybe they were afraid to explain it to me, is that once they put Mike on a plane from Bagram to bring him to Germany, the, the altitude could have killed him. Oh, Wow. And I then have thought that plane that. would have just passed by Germany and we would have been two planes passing in the night. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Right. And I would have missed him in Dover. Oh my goodness. Okay, they're, they're ready to, to make that transfer if they need to. And they did emergency surgery on the plane, but once they got him up there, they had to do emergency surgery and they were able to stabilize him. Then orders were cut at 6 a.m. Tuesday morning. What date? What date was, what date was Tuesday, Krista? What number day? Um, Tuesday was the first. Oh my goodness. I think it was the first. Okay. So he'd been wounded. He'd been, what day of the week was he wounded? I guess we'll just back up that way. We know it was the 26th of April, but do you remember what day of the week the the injury was? So the 26th of April was a, was a Friday. Okay. So you're basically Uh, waiting through the weekend. Yeah. You're waiting through the Mm -hmm. weekend. 
you've got plans to jump on a plane and go overseas early the next week. Then- so I fly out our time on the 30th okay. of April and arrive in Germany on the 1st. Okay. Which is when, um, now, mind you, there's, um, I, I fly over with my my chaplain and my casualty assistance officer, just unbelievable human beings. Um, my in-laws, um, Michael and Barbara, and, and then um, Mike's siblings, um, Isaac and his wife, Vanessa, and... Um, and, and David and my sister-in-law, Abby, you know, they, they all meet me there. So when we you say drive. there, where did you meet? So we flew into Frankfurt and then we went to, um, we went over to Lawnstuhl Army Medical Center. So all of you were able to meet in Germany. Mm-hmm. David got a last minute passport. He's, he was the one that didn't have a passport. And luckily we were able to get him one. Okay. So you're in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's now May 1st. Mm-hmm. And then... Then what? You know, May 1st, and they did some tests, um, and Dr. Betts, uh, he was from Texas, this neurosurgeon, Army neurosurgeon, he actually joined the Army late in life, I think in his early 50s, which I thought was incredible. Yeah, wow. Right? Talk about selfless service. Um, And he said ma'am, I'm sorry, but we've done all the tests and we've identified that your husband is brain dead. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And so I'm, I'm, we're talking over him, right? Our family is, is gathered around and, and, um, and I said, (laughs) can it heal? (laughs) That just shows what fog, what fog and what shock you're in. Yeah, I needed confirmation that there wasn't anything. What he's telling you is that there's nothing left. So at the actual accident, he was alert. He was putting on his tourniquets. Talking. Talking. Giving updates on his own condition. But he clearly, you said they were waiting for him to stabilize, to move him to Germany. And this takes over a week. Were you able to talk to him between the time of his injury? So on the medevac, on the way to Ghazni from the you know, um, basically right after the accident, he, um, finally got pain medication when he got on the medevac and they had to puncture his lungs, um, twice because his lungs were filling up because remember, um, cause his heart was, was bleeding. Yeah. yeah. And, and a couple of months after he passed, I got a message from someone who had spoken to one of the, um, individuals that were on the medevac, one of the nurses or doctors, and said that he opened up his eyes really wide and he said, wife, kids, I love. Oh. And he went into cardiac arrest. And okay, stop. Never we're, again. Okay, Krista, we're <laughs> going to stop right there because I kind of can't think past that for a minute. We're going to take a fast break and then we want you to come walk us through what happens next and what's happened for now the last eight years. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. All right, Krista, you've just received the worst imaginable news after knowing your husband was injured and you think has avoided death. You've now been told he's brain dead and it's not going to heal. He's shared his last words were that he loves you and those boys. 
Can you tell us what happens now? You're in Germany. I don't even know what that looks like when not only is the deceased soldier overseas, but you and his entire family, you're all there. I imagine your boys are with your parents or someone else back Mm -hmm. in Washington. Tell us, walk us through maybe the next week. Mm. So um, that was a Wednesday that he was declared. The following day, he donated his, his organs. So I got to play with him and sleep next to him. Those hospital beds are not big enough, by the way, (laughs) but we made it work and I got to be with him overnight. um, They kept everything running to be able to donate those organs. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then we're just kind of waiting for, you know, I had to fill out paperwork, of course, and um, waiting um, to figure out when he would be flown into Dover. And so, we left um, on a Saturday and uh, and flew into Dover and we were staying at the Fisher House. And then the um, Tuesday, May 7th is when Mike was flown in, flown in and there was some delays. He was supposed to fly in a little bit earlier, um, but there was some delays because seven other men were killed. Oh my goodness. Um, so did you stay in Dover that entire week then? Yes, we got okay. there on Saturday. We actually left, um, I think we probably left on um, on Wednesday or Thursday okay. of that week. So almost, yeah, almost a week. And, um, and the boys were with my parents at home in Washington. And our family, you know, myself and Mike's parents and siblings traveled together. And then they went back to Texas or North Carolina. And I uh, went back to Washington. We had a, a civilian's service, which was the first time that I had met a lot of his um, teammates' wives. Um, And it was Mother's Day. I didn't even realize it until somebody had said something and I thought, oh my goodness. It's because you're just not even aware. On Mother's Day. (laughs) You're not even aware. No. Did you bury him in Washington? Did you bury him in Massachusetts? Did you bury him at Arlington? Um, Mike is laid to rest in Section 60 in Arlington National Cemetery. And it was the greatest honor, I think, to walk through that amazing, amazing place. There's so much peace there. Um, and it was just, it was a gift. And he was buried on um, 30 May, which was the original Memorial Day, oddly enough. <laughs> oh, wow. So think of all the symbolism and meaning in that. Mm. So Krista, I, I wish we had like six hours to talk to you yeah. because I know we haven't even touched the iceberg, but I want to know and and how, to even ask you to do this sounds just ridiculous. Can you summarize the last eight years? What mm-hmm. have you What have you learned? What's been helpful? What What advice might you give someone who's helping someone else who's facing a new struggle of grief like this? How have you found resilience, and what does that look like in your life? I've learned something new. Um, I 
you know, many things new every year. I feel like God has opened my eyes a little bit wider and wider every year to be able to see the the gifts and the blessings and um and and really be able to um to serve to serve others, to be able to share, you know, to share my testimony and share what I've learned in terms of um, preparing for the unexpected, right? We had a will and powers of attorney and, and all of that put into place. And so um, I, I, I educate on that piece of it, right? Taking care of your family in life and in death um, for both the spouse and, um, and the service member. Um, And, you know, with the Unquiet Professional, we've been able to do many things. We're very small, and I love it to be that way because we get to lay hands on everybody we impact. And it's um, it's very healing for me. And, you know, the, the one term that I remember being at a, at a women's conference um, once, and Nicole Reyes was her name, and she said, there's nothing more beautiful than a community coming together and choosing you. And I thought that's, that's exactly how I felt. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt when everybody came together, wrapped their arms around me and supported my, you know, me and my family. And, um, and I wanted to be able to pay that back. I wanted to be able to, um, show others. And so that for me, you know, for example, for this Memorial, um, Memorial mile this year, honoring John, Patrick, and Phil, and sharing their lives and and sharing the impact that the Pelhams and Emily and and Linda have on the world. Um, You know, we have our sponsors that come in, right? Caliber Home Loans, Military Families Magazine has has written articles on, um, on all of us. And different organizations have come in and um, provided you know, different things. We have BKR with water bottles and De Espresso Libera with coffee and um, Ivy Forge design and maps. I mean, I'm going to miss, I'm definitely going to miss people, but we have um, an incredible military spouse that is, um, that has a, um, a travel agency, um, Marvelous Mouse Travels. And she, she's really done all of the, the coordinating with the honorees and um, just gifts that people wanted to send them in honor of their service. Right. Wow. I love that you do this and you do this every year. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And we've done it since 2018. It has definitely evolved to what it is today. But um, for me, I, you know, I love to be able to, to show my kids that we're not the only ones that we are, Um, that we are among an incredible community of military families that, that you don't have to be blood to be family. And, and that service means serving something greater than yourself. Unbelievable, Krista. If you could tell our listeners what resilience is to you, what would you say? My goodness. I know I should have come prepared with that one. But. No, that's okay. And I, it doesn't have to be like a concise sentence. I just mean what, what concepts or words, how would you describe resilience? Because I know I can see it in you. I can hear it in your choosing to look for the good, in your belief that 
God is giving you increased perspective mm-hmm. in your determination to make sure you don't forget other people who've similarly struggled. But have those things come naturally to you? Do you feel like you've made a conscious effort, maybe a combination of both? How how have you found the determination to be resilient and what does that look like for you? I mean, I think you you summed it up in in when you said choosing. You know, it's a choice. Um I can say that every morning that I wake up, I think of him. I think of our children. I think of the gift of Gus, my husband, who is, you know, my my twice in a lifetime, my second hero, the one who brings the boys, you know, to Cub Scouts and and teaches them how to make fires and 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 so many things that I could never have done on my own. And I do, I think of, I think that God has a purpose for this and I just need to continue every single day to, to live a life worthy of Mike's sacrifice, to live a life worthy of others sacrifice of the, the, the men and women who are living today, who suffer every day. Um, and I just, I'm not sure that I could ever, I could ever do enough. And I think that's what it is. It's picking myself up and, and brushing myself off when I'm having a hard day and realizing that it is a gift to be here and I cannot squander the gift that Mike and Gus both gave me with their service to this nation. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. This story, man, I, I, I was so quiet the whole time because I was crying. (laughs) You know, I had a sister-in-law. Um, she, she, uh, binge listens to my show. Very supportive. Mm -hmm. She called me the other day to ask, uh, how do you guys get through it? Do you guys sit ever cry it doesn't sound like you guys cry we cry all the time we just hit mute (laughs) we just hit the mute button but um you know going back to resilience man this is a a impactful impactful story on so many levels of love of service of gratitude um it is a choice we make a choice every day and i see one of your your strongest skill of resiliency is cultivating the attitude of survivorship or, um, you know, also having a positive um, outlook by signifying and looking at those steps of gratitude. You know, when you first started telling your story, you said, um, be able to see the gifts, the, the blessings and serve others. And that's, that is a step of resiliency right there. Mm-hmm. I just think that you're so strong and the ability to do it. And just like you said, it is a choice. We have to make the conscious choice every day. Um, and, and, you know, it's okay when we have our days where we just can't do it or we get to feel the depression or we get to feel the grief or the sadness. Yeah. And, you know, I've certainly, there are days where, I start the day and I'm I'm thinking this is a great day. This is I have all these things 
and then something can happen and sometimes best laid plans, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. and then, but yeah. you get up tomorrow and you, it's like, okay, we've got again. to handle these things again. And so, and ev- eventually it's like growing those muscles of resiliency, right? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Eventually we get stronger, we get better and we get more accomplished. And um, your story is definitely inspiring to me. Thank you for loving the men in your life who have served our country and being able to give back to those who have served and and have lost. Yeah. Krista, yeah, one of the sorry. No, go ahead. That's what's that's what's tricky with pandemic. We can't see each other. We have to know, risk tripping on each other's words. No, please go ahead, Krista. I think you'll both um probably have the same answer to this question that was asked of me in the immediate wake, probably within the first month month and a half. And and I sat with, um, you know, the commander that called me that day to inform me of Mike's accident, his wife, him and his wife and his family are, are dear to us. And so um, I was sitting with his wife, Susan, and, and I said, when is it going to stop hurting so bad? Like when, when am I going to be able to breathe again? I can say that I can, I still have moments where my breath is taken from me. But she looked at me and she said, if you, if you could get rid of that pain, right? If you could, if the pain could go away, but it meant that you had to give up all the joy that your husband brought to your life, would you do it? No, <laughs> we're, all, no. <laughs> we're both just sitting here shaking our heads no as we've all in the studio. Krista, I love you. I love your perspective. Um, I love your heart. I know you have helped us. You're, you're clear back east and I live here in Utah and you've reached out and helped us in our community to help um, an airman's family when he was deployed and his wife and children were really struggling. And you just, you know, no bounds, no bounds at all. You just have this love for your God, for your country, for your fellow man. And our listeners are better for having heard it. Michelle and I are better for having heard it. We might need to go home and grab another box of tissues as we rethink today's conversation. But thank you, not only for sharing your story, your heart, and your hero with us, but thank you for introducing us to those that we'll get to know in the next three weeks. And we look forward to next year. We hope you'll you'll continue to reach out and, and help us find more of America's heroes and their families to tell these stories about. And we just we thank you so much for your time and for your beautiful, beautiful heart and this life that you are determined to live with purpose and compassion. It's just so inspiring. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Beautiful you guys, story. if you're listening, we know you loved it. So go find the podcast. Give us a rating and a review. Um, watch on social media. We'll be on Facebook and Instagram. Go find Krista's episode. We'll post some great pictures to kind of let you see a little bit of an illustration into her life. And if you or someone you know has faced some real challenges of real life struggles, please reach out to us and let us share that story as well. It does not have to be military and you do not have to be a widow. We know that there are struggles and challenges in all walks of life and we'd love to be able to share those stories. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives.